Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Callum. And welcome to 1001 A Film Podacy. This week we'll be discussing our top three needle drop moments in movies, iconic scenes where the perfect song complements the story and takes it to a whole new level. From musical montages to emotionally charged moments, we'll share our top picks and analyse the power music has in movies. We also dive deep into the world of Donnie Darko. Set in a small suburban town in the late 80s, Donnie, a troubled teenager, narrowly misses being squashed by a jet engine, leaving him with visions of a six-foot-tall bunny called Frank that frequents his bathroom. Frank informs Donnie that he has 28 days before the world will end, leaving a lot of questions to be answered. Is this real life? Is it time travel? Where did the jet engine come from? What's Patrick Swayze doing here? And who's that man in the red tracksuit? Honestly... We don't really know either, but we'll do our best to provide some clarity. Right, so my number three then. Um, I don't know if I want to say the name of this film because it's got an expletive in it. Uh-oh. Um, it's from the film Snatch. Yes. And it's uh, Oasis's, Oasis's, uh, the Oasis song, Effing in the Bushes. So basically, this song's played on and off for a good seven minutes towards the end of the film. Uh, it's basically a, a solid, repetitive riff. Uh, it sounds like it should be overkill, but it's it's far from it. Um so the way that this song is incorporated uh, with everything you're seeing on screen is, is quite iconic and it's quite nostalgic, I think, as well. Um, it, it plays over a bare-knuckle fight where Mickey the Gypsy is meant to go down in one of the early rounds um, or he faces the wrath of Bricktop, as we all know. Um, we did Bricktop in, some, in the top three of the other week, didn't we? Um, yeah, well, he was one of the worst uh, villains. The worst villains? <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to say that. It's the first time I've spoken in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Your worst words. <laughs> yeah, awful. Um, um, but yeah, someone chose him as their worst villain. So yeah, I won't spoil the end of this film, but um, I will say that there is a lot of action involved uh, and the song really adds to the tension. Um, also, yeah. I think that this would be a much lesser known Oasis song if it wasn't for this film. Yeah. But I, I do think that now, if you you can't hear this song without thinking of the film, um, they're quite synonymous with each other. So that's my number three pick. But I've got no time for grasses. <laughs> Feed them to the pigs, Errol. Um, okay, so for my first pick, um, I could have really picked a number of scenes from literally any of this man's films, but the film I've chosen is Royal Tenenbaums by Wes Anderson. Um, and the scene in question shows Richie Tenenbaum, played by Luke Wilson, shaving in the mirror, um, as Elliot Smith's Needle in the Hay plays. Um, and I'm about to spoil a bit of the film now, so skip ahead if you've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he's staring in, uh, himself in the mirror, he says, I'm going to kill myself tomorrow, and then slashes his wrists, which is pretty... Mental. Yeah. Um, It just comes out of nowhere, really, because I think it's quite effective as well, because if you look into the backstory of Elliot Smith, who sang the song, he had a bit of a difficult life as well, and he actually ended up committing suicide. Um, So a lot of his songs are quite haunting too, but I think it stuck with me because it's such a serious scene in a film mostly full of classic Wes Anderson sort of daft, like whimsy. Really? Yeah. It just comes out of nowhere. It's just mental. The Royal Tenenbaum is definitely one of the films I need to rewatch because I think I watched it um, only a few years ago, but yeah, very late at night and I was very tired and I was sort of going, oh, how long has this got left? Cause, just because I want to go to bed, not because the film 
wasn't good. I thought it was really you've, good, actually. You've done that with loads of Wes Anderson films. You did that with French Dispatch and yep. Steve Zizou as well. Yeah, all three of them. I think <laughs> I, I think I put Wes Anderson films on because I think there's, you don't have to, I don't know, there's, there's, they've got quite a calming effect, I think. Yeah, yeah, they're nice. I just, yeah, I just like looking around in them because he does. He's very yeah. intricate, isn't he? You just put, always like with Kubrick was the same. You just put loads of little props around. Everything's put in the right place. Yeah. Just nice to look around. What's um, your number two then? My number two then um, is Out of Time in uh, by the Rolling Stones in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is, I'd probably say, my favorite film of all time. Really? Which, yeah. Which people usually like. What your favorite film of all time is a new film, but yeah, it is. I think yeah, it doesn't have to be old. It, when I watched it, I just thought, yeah, I think it's great, and I could probably watch good. this any day of the week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this song appears towards the end of the movie when when Rick and Cliff uh, on a flight home from Italy, um, Kurt Russell's voiceover is basically saying that this is the end of the road for their friendship, and they'll be going their separate ways after one one last piss up, basically. Yeah. Um, then the orchestral opening of this song hits as the planes land in on the runway. Um, and then it's followed by like a, a slow-mo montage of Leonardo DiCaprio's character swagging to the airport while Brad Pitt's lugging all the suitcases behind him. Yeah, with his lovely long hair that he's yeah. grown out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the montage continues. The Rolling Stones are still blaring in the background and we see Rick Dalton. He's yeah. placing his movie memorabilia around his house. Um, yeah. Cliff goes to pick up his dog. Do you remember the dog's name? Um. Yeah, hang on. Oh, bollocks! <laughs> it's a it's a girl's name, isn't it? Yeah, it's also the name of a lecker. Brandy. Lecker. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So he's picking up brandy from the kennels, and you see a heavily pregnant Shannon Tate welcoming her friend, uh, and even Jay. Uh, is it Jay Sebring? Um, Jay Sebring. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he's fighting with that very OTT version of Bruce Lee. Yeah. Um. But I think the music in this film as a whole, uh, it really it, it sort of transports you, I think, into that sort of time period. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's just, it's one of many that help you, that I can't think of, well, I can't hear without thinking of this film. Um, mm. Hush by yeah. Deep Purple is another one I always think of. And um, Yeah, well, with, with that out of time song as well, I can't claim that I thought of this because I watched the video. Um, but that, that song specifically is quite clever because the, the point in the film where it plays is they're coming back um, to then it leads into the ending, which is obviously a change to what happened naturally uh, in real life. Right. So they're actually out of our timeline coming back. Uh, right. They're out of time. I don't know if that was intentional. That's really cool. Cause, yeah, because everything before that, Sort of actually happened with Sharon Tate apparently, but then after that, it's all it's out of out it's of Tarantino's time. ending, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah, the alternate history. Maybe yeah. the plane went through a time a wormhole. Which well, we'll get into that. Yes, we'll get into that. And then, um, yeah, the engine fell off. Yeah, there's a line in it saying it's like you're out of touch as well in the song, and I think well, these two actors are sort of a bit out of touch now, aren't they? They're old, old yeah. news. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's a good one. There's another one. Um, I don't think it's in the film. But in the trailer, it's Brother Loves Travel and Salvation Show by Neil Diamond. And that's, yeah. a, that's a belter for a trailer, I think. I must say, trailers do have really good songs, don't they? And sometimes there's, the songs aren't even in the films. Because I was looking at a few trailers, and one of them, Social Network has like um, Creep, like a, like an orchestral 
like little choir version of Creep, and it's oh, it's, right. it's nice. That's a it's weird not one. In the film. Yeah, no, it's weird <laughs> if you watch it. But <laughs> loads of trailers have mint songs, and it really makes you want to go. Well, it's the point of a minute. Makes you yeah. want to go see the film. <laughs> I've been fooled plenty of times by trailers. Yeah, so Maybe I we can do a top three fooled by trailers. Well, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was a good idea. Um, go on, what's your number two before we go on a tangent? Speaking of tangents, we'll get into that later. Um, <laughs> no. um, but, well, I changed my second pick not long before recording, actually. Um, I had another one written down, but I thought of this this film today, and I remember actually really disturbing me with this scene with this song. Uh, so the film is Zodiac, and the song is Hurdy Gurdy Man by Donovan, which oh, yeah. plays during basically the first scene of the film. Um, where a couple are just pulled up in their car um, and they're just having a nice chat. Someone drives by, they think he's gone, he comes back and just shoots the, shoots, shoots them. <laughs> yes, no, I remember I, I remember thinking that was a really good scene as well, to be fair. Yeah, it's a good opening. It, it gets you right in and it creeps you out. Yeah. Um, but the, the song itself creeps me out anyway because it's just like shaky vibrato singing yeah, in my really I think um, I've had that in my car a few times as well with you in it. Back in the day, yeah. and I had the I mean, old did, CD case. Did you see me shivering in the back? Yeah, But yeah, since since seeing Zodiac, I can't help but think about this scene. Basically, whenever I hear the song, and it also appears at the very end of the film too, um, and sort of becomes a little motif for that first victim and the, and the killer, which I think is mm. quite clever. Um, but like, yeah, I really like because I was watching scenes from it earlier Zodiac just to see if there are any other songs in it. But really, maybe want to rewatch it actually because I think yeah. it is my favourite David Fincher film. Actually, is is Zodiac in the one thousand and one list? I don't know actually. It should be if it's it, not. It didn't win any Oscars. It didn't even get nominated for any Oscars when it yeah. came out. I know it's very I think ridiculous. It's, it's a very underrated film, isn't it? If, if we ever did a top three where we discussed like the scariest non horror films, I think it would be. One of mine, because it does creep me out, Zodiac, for some reason. Vallejo Police Department. I want to report a double murder. If you go one mile east on Columbus Parkway, the public park, you'll find kids in a brown car. They were shot with a 9mm Luger. I also killed those kids last year. Good. Bye. I don't know if I told you my number one already, but I'm not sure if I did. I've watched this film anyway. Either. I've watched this film anyway this week, so you'll see on my letterbox I've seen it. Um, yeah. And it's Jimi Hendrix's Voodoo Child in With Nell and I. Oh, right. I can't um, remember what, what happens with that song. So basically the scene opens and Marwood, or and I, uh, as he's credited in the film, um, Paul McGann's character basically, he's asleep on the back seat of, uh, of the car um, and you hear the sort of scratchy wah-wah of... Jimi Hendrix's guitar starting to build up. Yeah. Um, and as Marwood sort of wakes up and, and wonders who's driving, you realise that a really pissed up with nail is oh, yeah, down the bypass. I do remember that bit, yeah, yeah. And the sort of the song kicks in as it sort of pans out and you see them both swerving dangerously through traffic. Um and there's a line I really like, and Marwood says, What's going on? And with Nail just goes, I'm making time. <laughs> um I don't know why, I just think that's dead funny, but yeah. um, I, I'd, yeah, I'd probably put that line in, in I, th- I don't know, I think it's the delivery of it. He's really good in it, um, Richard E. Grant. Yeah. Um, but I was a fan of Jimi Hendrix before uh, I'd seen this film, and I'd heard Voodoo Child plenty of times, mostly because Hulk Hogan used it for a period when he was on SmackDown <laughs> in 2002, oh, yeah. Wow. Um, but now I can't hear that song without thinking of that, that scene. Um, yeah. But I know you're not a big fan of that film, but I definitely think you should give it another go. Yeah, I, I watched it with my mum like after 
a day of work, so we were both a bit knackered, and it was just like I don't know. I think it was because I think it was more that the the expectation of it being really good because I know you and Max like it, and then yeah. also all my family like like my mum's side of the family love it. It's like their favorite film, so it was like me and my mum were like, Haha, "This is brilliant!" Like pretending to like it, and then at the end we went, "I didn't really like that." Yeah, it's definitely like more of a cult sort of. Yeah, thing, isn't it? I think yeah. if I rewatched it, I will like it. If I watch it on my own or something. Yeah. You have to go... See, I, I think the first time I watched it, I didn't have the right mindset. I thought that the two characters were meant to be... Like, what was happening to them in this film was meant to be really awful and stuff. But when you sort of look at them as them just being absolutely pathetic and yeah. just over the top about everything, then I think you watch it differently and it, it becomes a lot funnier because they're just two pathetic men as you called us on one episode <laughs> well yeah <laughs> it's really quite funny when i think about it i'll just pretend i'm watching an episode of peep show like i said yeah that's what they are really <laughs> yeah they're just yeah peep show from 1987 would you would you ever watch a with nail and i with hulk hogan in it as one of yeah, the actors that'd be great just leg okay. dropping monty the uncle <laughs> yeah <laughs> all his cats yeah <laughs> Okay, so I'll I'll go with my number one then, shall we? I forgot I have to finish it off if I go second. There you go. Um, well, so I know a few people probably haven't seen this yet because it is pretty pretty new actually, um, and we have talked about it um, earlier today. I don't know if we were recording, but um, the film is actually After Sun. I'm going with that one as my number uh, one. Yes. Um, and for some reason, and I can't actually explain why or put into words why, uh, the film really got to me, especially this scene. So so for those who haven't seen it, it's about a girl and a dad, who was called Callum, by the way, which is probably why it might have got to me, um, who go on a nice little holiday together, and it's set in the late 90s as well, so there's obviously nostalgia involved as well. Um, it all sounds nice enough, but sprinkled throughout are obviously scenes that show what's really going on underneath the surface. Yeah. Um, without ruining it. And the pivotal scene in the movie features a version of Under Pressure by Queen. Um, mm. And when I, end, first, yeah. Yeah, when I first watched that scene, the whole way through, I was, whole, I was like feeling quite like, oh God, this is sad. And then I just felt tears streaming down my face when I when I heard that song. I don't know why. I don't know how. It does make you very choked up, that film. I and yeah, you I said it was late 90s. Right. I think it was more, I think it's more set like 2002, 2003. So oh, we, we, we're probably the same age as that kid at the time, I think. Yeah, because the Macarena is. Yeah. I, I explicitly have a memory of being in like a like a Spanish on a Spanish holiday, and they get up and do the Macarena in front of everyone, like yeah. those holiday rep type people, and that's what happened to the film as well. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it it got to me so much, but it did. Um, no, I, I I I agree. It did. It did with me too. It, it's a choker. It is. But I yeah. was choked up. Um, but yeah, it's a great song to accentuate the moment. And I watched it again the other night, and yeah, I cried again. So well done after Sun. Sun's crying now. Yeah. Um, Thanks. Bye bye. Okay. Okay. Safe travels. Bye bye. Give my love to your mum. I don't need a babysitter, you know. <laughs> Should we do other people's top threes then? Yeah, go on. Oh well, not other people's top threes, other people's picks. Yeah. So we've got we've got quite a lot uh, this week. So grief burrito, as they're known. Um, they've said bad to the bone in T two. Yes. Which I know you watched the other week. Literally watched the other day. Yeah. Um, it's basically day, yeah. when when um, Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of first arrives in the film. He goes to the yes. biker bar doesn't he? And that comes yeah. on. Although I've not actually seen that film. <laughs> um, oh, <right>. Apart <laughs> from, actually, I think we watched it in school once. Um, 
strangely. And I, I remember right. that scene when he, he goes into the biker bar and he comes out and he's got the, the fellas leather jacket on and stuff. Uh, and they've also said, um, another one, they said a bit more left field, uh, is I touched myself uh, in Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, I don't remember that either, you know. Although I've seen that a few times. One. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've got Hallmark of Greatness then. Um, they said the song by the Eels in Shrek is a beautiful monster. Uh, they said it really encompasses the relationship between Shrek and Fiona at that point. Um, I agree. It's, it's isn't it the sort of the montage bit where they're proper lovey dovey and um, yeah, when they're blowing up the toads and the snakes and stuff. Is yeah. that it? Is it, is, is it just after she blows up that bird, basically? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I used to scar me as a child. Yeah, same. <laughs> and then she just cooks its its eggs. Yeah, horrible. Um, he's also said um, John Farnham's You're the Voice in Hot Rod. Um, yeah. They said it's an absolute barnstormer uh, of ludicrousness. Um, it is. If you've not, yeah, if you haven't seen it, and if you like Lonely Island stuff... Um, or the band Europe, I recommend it, they've said. Movies on the way then. They yes. said the first thing that comes to mind for them is Insidious, uh, when they're within the dream sequence uh, and the song that drops is Tiptoe Through the Tulips, um, which is one of the most cre- creepy songs ever. I don't remember that scene, but yeah, I can imagine Tiptoe Through the Tulips playing in a horror film to be quite terrifying, actually. Yeah, I... <laughs> I remember it being in the trailer, I think. I don't remember the exact scene. I think it might come on when the, whatever it is, the demon's around or something, maybe, from what maybe, I remember. Yeah. But yeah, it is a horrible song. Um, they'd also said then, uh, in Train Spotting, so they've put Renton's life's been a nightmare until the final scene. Uh, Born Slippy begins to play and the song builds while Renton decides to steal his friend's money. Yeah. Uh, it creeps out the hotel room and into the sunshine of London and the song reaches its climax as the credits roll. Um, they said it's utterly uh, euphoric, and people ask why I call this uh, my happy movie. Um, <laughs> the movies on the way said that as a fellow Scot, um, this was definitely one of the most shocking movies Danny Boyle made in the nineties. Um, yeah, great film, Train Train Spotting. Um, I've not watched it for a while. Uh, yeah, same. I probably should. Yeah, and I remember being pleasantly surprised by T two. Not. Terminator 2, Train Spotting 2 when it came out. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, um, it's confusing that they call that T2. Yeah, I remember <laughs> thinking that that was really good as well. Yeah, I remember liking that one. And then, and then he said, uh, Sean of the Dead, um, when they played Don't Stop Me Now at the end, smacking yeah. that zombie with a snooker cue. Yeah, I, I was going to potentially think put that one in as well, but thought a few people might mention it. So. Yeah, but well, yeah, I was about to one. say, someone diabolical as well. Um, they said a couple of of they've talked about is Don't Stop Me Now as in Shaun right. of the Dead um, <laughs> yep. and Orinoco Flow in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo so I've not seen The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo but I watched that scene the other day yeah it's um, horrible yeah <laughs> it was horrible <laughs> <laughs> poor Daniel yeah um, they've also said another uh, song from Trainspot and they said Perfect Day which is when he's overdosing I think they've said oh in the film Rushmore um, oh yeah, the feud montage backed by a quick one by the Who. Yeah, that's good. They said particularly the beginning when Bill Murray gets stung by a bee, um, and then when Jason Schwartzman gets out the elevator. Yeah, he's smarmy. He's smarmy about it. No, yeah. it's funny that scene. I like that bit. I've not seen that film. I watched that scene the other day, and I thought, yeah, it's pretty, I think that could be one of you. If you watch that, I imagine that being your favorite Wes Anderson film for some reason. I think you'll just find the main character funny in it because he's a um, little smarmy bastard, but he's funny. He's 
quite like. I will have to watch it. My my favourite at the minute is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh yeah, all right. I don't think it would trump that one actually. That's a good one. Gals from Diabolical have said Paper Planes by MIA uh, in Slumdog Millionaire. Um, it's when Jamal yeah. and Saleh Moran are travelling across India by train and at the end they get thrown off by the guard and it switches to older actors um, as they roll down a hill. Oh, right. I've never seen Slumdog Millionaire, surprisingly. That's a good film and that's a See, good song. I think that's an underrated song. Yeah, I like that song. It reminds me of that, that era, like the mid-2000s quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Danny Ball's good at choosing songs, whoever he gets to do it, unless it's himself. I remember, I remember thinking though that Paper Planes when it came out, I was like, I really recognise this. Um, but it was a sample of Straight to Hell by The Clash, and never realised that until just now. There you go. Adam from uh, Diabolical has said, "Stuck in the middle with you uh, in Reservoir Dogs," which is when he's cutting the copper's yeah. ear off. Nasty classic, there. That is what? a great yeah. song. I watched that film for the first time with my mum. I remember um, <laughs> when I was probably about fourteen. I don't know if she <laughs> really thought that through, but anyway. Yeah, I've seen it's quite bad, even though they cut away. Ah, see what I did there? Yeah. Uh, we've got the uncredited extras as well. Um, they've said uh, The Immigrant Song uh, by Led Zeppelin and Thor Ragnarok. That's yeah. a good one. Um, it is. Yeah. See, they, they they know how to use songs well, don't they, Marvel? But um, I think they did it too much in the newest Guardians of the Galaxy, but that's... Uh, up for that's the jury's out on that one anyway. Yeah, so the opening of the new guys of the galaxy is like song after song for a bit. I did notice that as well a bit. Yeah, they've also said "Wake Up" by Rage Against the Machine in the Matrix. I don't remember that being in that, but yeah, that one's quite clever, really, isn't it? When you think about it, because the story is he needs to wake up to fight against the machine. Yeah, I don't remember that song being in there though. But I, I don't. Yeah. I can't take credit for that. That was in that video I watched as well. Sorry. Uh, right. <laughs> I tried to pretend to be clever then, but no. It's also what that guy I haven't said. seen The Matrix for years. Um, yeah. And then Bell Bottoms, shot by John Spencer in Baby Driver, which, yeah, yeah that, that's a good one. I thought you were going to have that one, to be honest. If I was going to do one from Baby Driver, it would have been the one by The Damned. Neat, neat, neat. When yeah, they're neat, robbing neat. that place. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and they're trying to get the car out of the car park. And they've also said The Matrix Lobby Shootout with the Propeller Heads track Spyball. Oh, right. Um, and then we've got one last one from SPV Film Viewers um, who have said, Come and Get Your Love uh, by Redbone in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Yeah. Um, I remember going to see Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one in the cinema, and not really having any co- sort of context of who they were or anything. I didn't really read them in the comics or anything. And I thought I wasn't going to really enjoy it. Um, yeah. For some reason, I thought it was going to be a bit Star Trekky. I don't know why I got that in my head. And then when this first scene kicked in, um, I just remember thinking it was... It was it was absolutely great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does set the tone, doesn't it, for the whole film, really? So yeah. it is a good song. The first Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, is is still really really good. I think it's it's definitely my favourite out of the three. Uh, having watched them all now, I do yeah. really like that one. Uh, they've also said Heroes, then David Bowie, uh, the perks of being a wallflower. See, I thought you were going to have that one as well. To be honest, I know from that film. I know you did because you <laughs> said, didn't you? I bet you'll have you that. You double crossed me. <laughs> um, I also think of Heroes uh, in. Um, Jojo Rabbit as well though and then they've put Let Her Dance uh, the Bobby yes. Fuller 4 in Fantastic Fox is that in the supermarket? yeah right at the end basically I, I was I like that scene as well it is nice so you, you're talking about you're talking about being nice with one of the films that is a nice thing to think of isn't it little foxes dancing in the supermarket yeah lovely All right, 
let's get into the main film then, shall we? The main review, Donnie Darko. Um, what was your reaction when you first ever watched this? Um, you were a young man, weren't you, when you first watched Donnie Darko? Yeah, I yeah, probably watched this. I was probably about 18, I think. Yeah, 17, 18. Um, and I really enjoyed it, um, but I didn't, didn't know what was going on. I'm sorry. Same, I had no clue. I think I think I was about fifteen. Yeah. Um, no idea. I just just stared, as I do with most films when I was that age, just blankly, not yeah. really understanding what was being said or what was going on. And then probably acted it out. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> like when you walk down the stairs after the cinema, um, as yeah. if you've just starred in the film. Yeah, well, um, when I watched Planet, the third Planet of the Apes film, I went out and like put my chest out like an ape and looked at people. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I was utterly confused. I don't think I've ever understood Donnie Darko until I watched it the other night and then researched it. Um, <laughs> I think what I thought was the case, it definitely isn't. So we're going to forget about spoilers and shit. Um, we're going to assume that you've seen this film, whoever's listening. Uh, and if you haven't, we'll assume that you'll watch it after you've done this. Because we're all adults sometimes. Um, we don't mind knowing what happens. To be fair, though, if we... Um, if if we do go into this film in depth and we manage to explain it somehow, um, yeah. maybe it'll help you if you haven't seen this film. Yeah. Maybe it won't take you 10 years to finally understand what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, and I think when I was in college, we watched it as part of a module, you know, for, for a media studies, weirdly. And oh. I still didn't get it. And we did a lot of like discussions about it and looking at it and what it means and stuff. I still had no clue. Um, um, so, yeah, it's just that type of film, I think. So there's a few different versions. Well, there's two different versions out and about. Um, I had the original version on DVD, um, and I was fully expecting uh, The Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen to kick in within two minutes of the (laughs) film starting. And then uh, In Excess started playing instead. So um, I think I'd stumbled across the director's cut for this viewing. Yeah, I think I I watched that one as well. It's a little bit long, isn't it? And yeah, the difference is it starts with that song. I think that's how you... You can tell. I don't know why you changed that because um, "Killing Moon" was much better as an opening song. I thought. Can you can you remember the original? Does "Killing Moon" play in that scene at the party anyway, or is it a different song at that point? Um, I can't remember. Um, Oh, I think it is quite good at that bit. Yeah, I think the two films were swapped round in all honesty. I'm not sure. Oh right. Well, because it it does it does work well that the end of that song in that party scene, doesn't it? Yes. Quite effective. Yeah, um, I'll I'll plant us in with a bit of trivia straight away. The yeah. version of uh, "Love Will Tear Us Apart" uh, by Joy Division that's playing in the party. Um, this film was set in nineteen eighty-eight. Is it? Yeah. That version that was playing wasn't released until nineteen eighty-nine. I don't think. Oopsie. Or maybe even later than that. Maybe even like nineteen ninety-five. So, where do you want to start? Do you want to talk about scenes? I'm happy to talk about. Um, the director Richard Kelly first, and the fact that yeah, I've yeah. never seen any of his other films or heard of him before or after this. Yeah, so Richard Kelly, he was quite a young up and coming guy, wasn't he, when he made this? I think he got sort of help. Well, like I think Francis Ford Coppola was interested in this film for some reason, and he helped 
um, sort of trim the fat a bit, I think, because yeah. Jason Schwartzman, who is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew, I think, yeah, he wanted to play Donnie Darko. He wanted to do so. He took it to Francis Ford Coppola to discuss, um, and I think that's how he got hold of it. So oh, that's a good idea. I don't know what else happened after that. Obviously, he didn't get the role for some reason. But I believe there's a few people that are interested in the role for Donnie. I think they considered having Vince Vaughn, but he was like, oh, I'm, too, I'm way too old. <laughs> he was like, I'm way too old for this role. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, that'd be bizarre. That'd yeah. be a completely different film. But I think there was a few people considered for uh, for Donny. I think it was even cast, but wow. I, was it Jason Schwartzman maybe that was cast? And then I don't know because I, I can't picture him since ever since watching Rushmore, which we mentioned earlier. I could just picture him being a little. But he's a bit of a little shit in the sub, isn't he, Donny Darko? So maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah, he <laughs> well, definitely well. is. With Richard Kelly, um, he did this, and then he did a film called Southland Tales. Have you ever heard of that film? No. Yes. It's got The Rock in it. And yes. Uh, Buffy. <laughs> but apparently that's a really divisive film, really. Like, when it came out, it was critically destroyed and people hated it. But now it's sort of built up a cult following. Um, and then he did... He did The he did Box as well. The Box, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think he wants to do a sequel to Donnie Darko because there is an un- unofficial one that he had nothing to do with, which is called S Darko, yeah, isn't I've it? Yeah, I've seen that. Is it good? No. <laughs> it's got the same actress who plays the sister in though, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's about it's girl. all about it's all about her basically. Um, yeah, right. And what happened to the family after? I think it was. I think they tried to make it a bit darker, but it it wasn't very good. With Richard Kelly, then he obviously he had one big hit and then didn't have many yeah. unsuccessful films. I thought, do you know? Can you think of another director who followed that same path? Because I've got one in mind. No, I can't think of one. Well, the guy who directed It Follows, right. It had a very similar thing. He had a film before it follows, but then he had a film called Under the Silver Lake. Have you? I don't know if you've heard no, of that. Andrew that. Garfield, but that had a very similar reaction to what South and Tales had. Um, so panned since then and then came back. With panned and then, but then people people seem to like it. Some people, like, I really like it. I thought it was a very good film. Yeah, uh, but it follows as like a huge hit, wasn't it? So it's a similar sort of, and it was a horror, so which is sort of what Donnie Darko did. So I think they follow a very similar path. Those two blokes. Well, Donnie Darko originally. Well, it was a flop in the box office because um, it came out in 2001 and in the trailer, um, well, it was very close to going straight to sort of DVD anyway. It was it was, it was almost like a TV movie. Uh, it was going to go onto a channel called Stars or something. Um, oh, I know Stars. Yeah, but I th- at the end. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it, yeah. And I think Christopher <laughs> Nolan um, was like, nah, this is a good film. And I think he helped Richard Kelly sort of get it. Uh, released properly and, and premiered in cinemas and stuff, um, but I think it it was released not long after nine eleven, um, oh, and in the trailer there's the the whole jet engine sort of oh, shit, thing. Yeah. So a lot of people were put off watching it, um, so it didn't do well in America at all. Um, it did all right over in the UK, but in America, it, yeah, it didn't do well at all. Uh, I don't That's... think they even recouped any of the money. That's uh, like that Spider-Man been. game that had the the two towers in it, the twin towers in it. And they had to, I think they had to take. I oh, know that's the Spider-Man film, wasn't it? Spider-Man film had the twin towers in it, and they had to remove them. Yeah, I think, think there was. Released. There's another one. Is I think there's an episode of Friends that was meant to be released around the time about airport security. Um, oh, was there? Or something. So yeah, they had to stop. They had to. That was it's like an un, unaired episode. I think it's been aired now. Um, and also, if we're talking about it, there's a stroke song called New York, uh, New York City Cops, and it's oh, basically yeah. slagging off the New York City Cops. And they released they, it around the same time, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they released it around the same time, and then they changed the song on the album. 
because obviously the New York City cops did a good job on that day. Did quite well, yeah. Yeah. So but did anyway, Steve Buscemi. He was Steve's, there helping yeah, he was, for the yeah. fire service, really. He's an ex-fireman, wasn't he, I think? so. But there's a, there's a documentary that came out um, the other year, and I can't remember what it's called, but that's about like all those bands after 9-11, like the Strokes, the AAS and all that, and how they reacted to 9-11 and all that. So you might, you might uh, be interested in that. It's a documentary. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. So do you get the whole thing with this film then about what do you get what it's about the whole I've, time I've, traveling stuff i've purposely not looked into it but well my understanding is basically let me just you can you can tell me if i'm wrong but doesn't he basically all i know is he is trying to go go like he's interested in time travel all the way through hmm. and frank's obviously telling him I don't know. It's hard to explain. You, have you not looked into it and you're going no, to tell me what you think? Yeah, I've purposely not looked into yeah. it. Um, Frank, he's obviously in these dreams. Frank's sort of from the future in a way in his dreams. Um, and then he's telling him he has to do certain things to avoid something bad happening. And the thing he ends up doing is saving Gretchen's life by sacrificing himself, by going back in time after she's died and making sure he dies. So he never meets her and never puts her in that situation, basically. Is that it? See, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's what I thought. When I'd watched it originally, that's what I thought. And I think that's what a lot of people thought, and that's why they did the director's cut. But so I watched the director's we... cut, and it's still still right. <laughs> <laughs> so the director's cut. The whole, do you know, like they do this whole Grandma Death, Roberta Sparrow book thing, and yeah. bits of the page come up and stuff. Um, basically, from the very... So the jet engine that falls into his room isn't from this world. It's from a tangent universe. Right. That's why they can't find the plane that it's come from. Um, and then from the moment he sees Frank for the first time, yes. everything from that point onwards is in this tangent universe. So there's a few, there's a bit of lore into it. So like the two key elements of, of like, Basically, because this jet engine is now in this universe, Donnie has to get it back into the other universe right. within 28 days. Otherwise, the both all the universes will just implode and they'll sort of oh, a big black hole will suck it all into itself and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so the two key elements of like time travel are water and metal. So the metal's the jet engine. And then if you ever... Notice Frank is always by a water source when you see him. Uh, I think apart from in the cinema, maybe. Um, got a drink on them, have they? <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, Probably. maybe that then. But like at the start when you first see him, he's by a water sprinkler. Then he's in the bathroom a lot of the time. Oh, right, yeah. And there's and then there's the flooding as well. Basically, the jet engine is the artifact, what they call it, and the artifact has to go back into the the other world. Fuck right. I'm not going to be able to explain this very well because I don't really understand Just it. to restore sort of harmony in the universes, basically. The yeah, basically. So, back in its right place. So there's a living receiver, they call it, who is selected uh, by who? I don't bloody know. Oh. Uh, and this is Donnie. Right. Uh, so he's been chosen and he is blessed with like fourth dimensional powers. So um, telekinesis, mind control, um some apparently you can get like the ability to conjure fire and water. He obviously doesn't. He uses the axe to get the water. Um, but they're also cursed by getting having terrifying visions and dreams and hallucinations and stuff. Um, and then there's also other people that sur- they surround themselves in called the manipulated living. And these people are basically their actions 
guide Donny towards sending this. Yeah, I, I think I, that's what back. I read. I think because they they don't act as they usually would, do they? I no, think. So, so they, they lead of, him to the clues because they're yes. acting a bit off. So everything they do is leading him and guiding him towards it. There's the manipulated dead, which is Frank, because obviously Frank gets killed later on. So he comes back in time, so that's a time travel thing. To also try and push Donnie towards sending this thing back, because he's got telekinesis and mind control and all this shit now. Um, I don't know why I can't just say to him, Donnie, you need to just send that jet engine back in time. <laughs> yeah, just just lay it out wormhole. clearly. Write it down on a piece of paper and give it to yeah, him. Yeah, exactly write it down. Um, and then at the end, when he sort of sat on the top of that hill and the jet engine, he basically, the jet engine, he detaches it from the plane in the end. Right. And How sent it through this wormhole back to its own universe. So there's only one in each universe. Right. There's one jet engine in each universe, yeah. So does he um, wait for it to, where is the then, end? Hang on. Where, where is he at the engine from? <laughs> so the original one at the start that misses him. Yeah. That's just come through from another universe. Yes. And then there's one in this universe that he pulls off the plane to send it back because there's already one in this one (laughs) with his mind powers. Oh right, I don't remember that scene. And then sends it back. Yeah, must be on Um, camera. (laughs) It's really confusing, isn't it? (laughs) Um, But then he kills himself and he sacrifices himself. Yeah, and he's laughing Um, like a little giggly boy because he's realised the whole thing, like. I don't know why. I don't know why he sacrificed himself, Carl. I'm lost now. I think that's a personal thing, potentially. Maybe that's the Gretchen thing, so he doesn't ever meet her. Or maybe he's not from this universe, maybe, and him dying sends him back to his own universe. Possibly, yeah. Um, But then it sort of goes back in time, doesn't it, then, to... Because the the last scene is Gretchen, who's never met him before, and it's back to the morning when the engine's fallen through. Yeah, go back in time. But they... But it has got him this time. Although, I will say, do you know when he wakes up on the golf course? Yeah. And he rides his bike home and there's all the police there and the jet engine's fallen through the house yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And he walks up the drive and his family just look at him and go, oh, it's your brother. He's he's fine sort of thing. Yeah, I thought that as well. They I just... was thinking, why aren't they more panicked? Like <laughs> yeah. they For all they know, he's in there squashed. Yeah. And they're just going, oh, he's here. Oh. Thank God for that. I thought that as well. Yeah, they just don't I, seem to give a shit really. That you yeah. wouldn't, you would be able to tell if he got squashed or not at that point, would you? No, you wouldn't. No, because be anywhere under the rubble. And then yeah, his, sister, his little sister's like, "Hit your room." That's me trying to explain what happens. Yeah. Well, that, that's so. That's I never even. It, it doesn't make sense. Still, <laughs> I like I like my one better. Really. Yeah, it's I like your one better. Romantic. He went back in time so that she doesn't die. That's yeah. yeah. That's part of it, I'm sure. But what you said probably. No, I, I was interested in that, actually. Another thing I always think though, at the end of the film, he's gone back and he sacrificed himself. So everything that's happened in this film basically doesn't happen. Yeah. Um. So Patrick Swayze gets away with it, really. Oh yeah, bollocks. St- yeah, still a nonce. Yeah. I don't even um, think about that. I believe you were searching for the answers in all the wrong places. You're right, actually. I am pretty, I'm, I'm pretty troubled and I'm, I'm pretty confused, but I... And I'm afraid, really, really afraid. Really afraid, but I, I, I think you're fucking antichrist. But I think Jake Gyllenhaal is definitely a good choice for this film. Yeah, let's talk about Jake, shall we? Do, do, do you like his performance in this? It's one of his first, well, not one of his first ones because he was in films when he was a kid, wasn't it? But it was his breakout role, I think, wasn't it? More or less. Yeah, um, I think it was his first film where people sort of went, he's actually quite a good actor, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, and he is. He's he's one of my favourite actors. Um, he's been in a lot of great films since Nightcrawler, Brokeback Mountain, 
prisoners. Uh, he plays Mysterio, not Ray. Um, <laughs> I wish he played Ray. Yeah. <laughs> um, in in Spider Man, but yeah, no, he's he's a good actor. And this is sort of where I think he went from being kid actor, I think, yeah, kid actor to to an adult. Serious, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I like. like I like that Maggie Gyllenhaal's in this as well. Um, yeah, because didn't he have to persuade her to be in it because she didn't really want it? Could be, you know, thought it was a bit weird if they were both in a film together. But I think it it would only works as well with them too because they just act like brother and sister, don't they? Really, so they've got quite good chemistry anyway. Yeah, because it's like the dinner table scene, isn't there? When oh yeah, he tell he calls her a fuck ass or something. I can't remember <laughs> what he calls her, and she tells him to suck a fuck, which I think's a good insult. So yeah, it's a lovely um, dysfunctional family meal. But, um, it is, yeah. What I always think in that scene is the dad seems nice. <laughs> I think the dad is one of my favourite characters in this film. Yeah, I, he's good. I really like him. He just seems like a really nice dad. And the mum's just like quite quite cool, isn't she? She just yeah. like smokes by a tree. and <laughs> reads Stephen King's She's hard. Yeah, she's just hard. She just yeah. doesn't take any crap. And I, I do like the dad, though. What the fuck, ass? <laughs> <laughs> His first appearance in it, he's using a leaf blower and then he gets Maggie Gyllenhaal with it. Yeah, he's just a, a nice blower. jolly fella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it. Yeah. <laughs> if we ever did like a special episode where we had to pick family members. Favourite. Like, top three favourite dads in films. Favorite, yeah, he's, he's up there for me, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's also um, when Donnie is told the teacher to stick the, the cue card or whatever Phys- uh, physically insert it in her anus or whatever. Oh, right, yeah, that's funny, that scene. And the, the dad laughs. Yeah, it was it, hilarious. the love love fear thing on the chalkboard. Yeah, yeah. fear and love. Because he's just about, yeah, because in that scene he's just about to say it and then it cuts to the, to the obviously, the head teacher's office. Yeah. And then I'll re- tell you what he said. <laughs> yeah, it reveals that the dad just breaks into laughter. Yeah. He is a funny man. Yeah, that's a funny yeah. scene. I like that. I'll tell you what he said. He asked me to forcibly insert the lifeline exercise cart into my anus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, um, Drew Barrymore in this film, um, she was, was one of my um, first crushes as a, as a kid after seeing her in Charlie's Angels. Oh, yeah. Full throttle. Oh. Um, I liked her again in this film, I won't lie. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, th- I, I like Drew Barrymore. Um, yeah. She's the one of the main reasons this film got made because um, her um, production company, Flower Films, yes. uh, produced this film. I think they provided them with four point five million. Wow! Um, yeah, because because it didn't. No one at Sundance bought it, did they? Like all the production no. companies turned it down. So she stepped in after reading it, and yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought that was pretty good. pretty nice of her. Really, she's like a producer of it. Yeah, and then she played Miss Pomeroy, obviously the teacher, which. Well, she's quite a star, so it, it it adds her name as well to it. So, how did they manage to get Patrick Swayze though? I don't know, and I always forget when he when he actually died, Patrick Swayze, because I thought he died long before this film would be out. Yeah, so did I. It's weird. No. It's the only other film I know other than obviously that he's in. <laughs> so um, weird. <laughs> I haven't yeah, really he, done a deep dive into Patrick Swayze. Well, he's in Ghost as well. Oh God, yeah, Ghost, yeah. And Point Break. And Point Break. All right, forget about it. <laughs> I know him. <laughs> I know him very well. Um, but yeah. Um, I I always forget he's in this film until I watch it again and go, oh, is that Patrick Swayze? Yeah, um, it's weird. It's the two eighties icons as well. They must have done that on purpose because they were both. Yeah. Cause she was obviously in ET and he was yeah. in Dirty Dancing. So especially with a, such an unknown director like Richard Kelly. I know. Imagine um, that being your first gig. 
How do you persuade you? How do you? And then how the hell do you explain this film to these people as well? <laughs> and, and well, speaking about like people being in this, there's actually quite a few. Well, they're not, they weren't cameos at the time, but now they're sort of cameos. You notice there's a lot of people in really small roles in this film that yeah. went on to do other things, don't you? So the most notable one, Seth Rogen. Yeah, it's his first speaking role, isn't it, in a film? Yeah, it's his first and feature his first, film, I think. And his first line was, "I like your boobs." Horrible boy. He's horrible in this. Him and his mate. Yeah, he is horrible in this. I like your boobs. <laughs> but that'll forever be his first line in any film. <laughs> well, he's continued to say that type of thing throughout his career, yeah. really, hasn't he? To be honest. Um, um, but there's obviously Ashley Tisdale pops up, which is quite yes. nice, isn't it? In that yeah. scene, and in it's that very, funny. in the very same scene, Jerry Trainer pops up. He plays. Icarly. Icarly's brother, Spencer. Yeah. So. The one after the each of them, I was like, hey, this is my childhood, basically. It's the, it's the Disney Channel. I think you could put Bart Simpson in Donnie Darko's role and it would be the same <laughs> film, to be honest. Yeah. He is basically Bart Simpson, brother. So he's, he's doing pranks. He's standing he's the up the class to the sort of daredevil. <laughs> yeah. he's, not, he's, not, he's not the school hard nut because that's Seth Rogen and his mate. That's ne- yeah, Nelson. No, that's uh, Nelson yeah, that's Jim Nelson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right then. Yeah. Donnie, uh, Bart Simpson. Donnie Darko is Bart. A one and the same. They should have done. They may have done an episode where Bart sees a big bunny, but if they didn't, they should. Bonnie Barto. I don't know. Just spitballing. Do you have Do you have a favourite side character in this film? Because there's quite a lot of funny characters in this. I think. A bit similar to um, Holland Drive. Just random people popping up and saying daft things. I quite like that scene where. Donnie walks up to that. I can't remember her name in it. What's the girl called at the bus stop that they're all picking on? Charita Chen. Charita Chen, yeah, and he just walks up to her and just <laughs> puts his hands on it <laughs> at the side of her face and goes, everything will be okay, and then she just runs off sort of screaming. It's shut a, up. Runs yeah, it's shut up. It's very bizarre, yeah. <laughs> but then he, she drops a book and it, it says Donnie Darko on it with loads of love hearts, yeah. so obviously she's nice. crushing. It's, it's quite a sad tale for her, but um, I like her in this film, and I, like, yeah. and I think her sort of Swan Lake or whatever she does is better um, it's powerful. It's a powerful performance. Yeah, it's it's better than the the girls dancing to um, Duran Duran, whatever the song is. Yeah, it's Sparkle Motion. They're called. Yeah, it's better than Sparkle Motion. I thought she should have won that. Shut up. Um. Yeah. And with that scene in particular, I think you can do. I you can very easily see Napoleon Dynamite fit into this universe. Just yeah, sitting in the yeah, audience watching could. that. <laughs> Him and Pedro. But yeah, speaking of spark motion, what's her name? The one who runs that? Kitty Farmer, can... her name Kitty is. Kitty Farmer. Um, played by Beth Grant. And she pops up in a lot of things as sort of a character actor, but she's always this, when I've seen her in things, she is always like a busybody woman. Yeah, she, well, until she plays, didn't she play uh, Dwight Schrute's babysitter? Oh, yeah. Uh, I completely forgot episode. about that, yeah. The office where he brings her for as his date. <laughs> that is probably the best episode of The Office as well, I must say. That. Yeah, it's a very good one. Um, uh, yeah, I completely forgot that was her. Um, but yeah, in this, she's absolutely... I think every school has um, a woman like that. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. I've just spotted another character in this film. Yes. Um, who plays uh, Dr. Lillian. Yeah. And I didn't realise until just this second... I've just looked her up as well. She's she's um, in the graduate. Yeah. She's Elaine Elaine Robinson. Yes, I didn't realise that, but I I, th- I thought she was recognised. Yeah, I, I could recognise her. I can't really remember. Oh, is she the therapist in this? Yeah, she's the oh, therapist right. in it. Yeah, oh, Doctor Thurum. 
Jimmy Malone's in this film as well, obviously, oh, from yeah, The Hunger probably. Games. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that completely. <laughs> Another scene then, it's probably why we did the top three needle drops, is um, the glorified music video, basically, uh, when Head Over Heels um, kicks in, and it's sort of the camera's lying on its side, isn't it? Um, and it's yeah. the, the school bus, and the, yeah. the back door opens. Um and yeah, and it's just a, a montage of the music video, and it's sort of there's bits of sped up um, scenes, which is typical of an early noughties music video. I think it is just a music video, isn't it? Pretty um, much, it, it sort of like speeds up and then goes in slow mo when you like see different characters, doesn't it? Like the little yeah. sister dancing and stuff, and it's sort of um, the introductory scenes to all the main school characters, isn't it? Really, I, I I really like it, but it doesn't fit in with the rest of the film. I don't think. Well, there's a few, there's a few slow mo bits like that because obviously when he's at the party, there's one that's a bit similar. Yeah, I suppose, and I suppose the start when the Killing Moon or In Excess, whichever yeah. one you're gonna, you've yeah, watched. In. I suppose it's a bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe I've looked into that too much, but I don't know. Um, good song anyway, so don't care. I think it's yeah, it's, it really does sort of um, highlight the song being played, doesn't it? Because they always makes it makes it a scene where you're just mainly focusing on the song. The song really has a big part in all those scenes, doesn't it? Yeah, some, sometimes with scenes like that, you can still hear what's going on in the actual scene, but it is just the song playing. Like, there's no... You can't hear the school corridors or anything like that, or the yeah. school bells ringing or anything. It is just the song, um, right. like like it would be in a music video. Um, yeah. So maybe that's what it is. Do Go you know on. at the end? Yes. Um, Just before he, sh- he shoots the rabbit, Yes. What are those two bullies doing there? And how did they know they were going to be there? Think what, what they're doing is they're robbing a house, aren't they? They're robbing Grandma Death's house because is that what they're doing? I think so. Yeah, because it's at yeah. Grandma's Death's house because they narrowly nearly run her over again, don't they? But they run over yeah. kitchen instead. So I think they're trying to rob her house. Um, but that scene in particular is meant. It's horrible. There's a. Uh, I'm going to talk about David Lynch again. Sorry. In the film Twin Peaks fire walk with me there's a very similar sort of it gives me the very similar feeling um involving laura palmer in like a little in a cabin and it, it's all it all becomes quite serious doesn't it at that point because mm, yeah. they're they're nasty boys about to do something and it's the same in twin peaks and then you know, obviously donnie shoots frank so it's it just becomes all a bit real yeah. doesn't it and and Gretchen Gretchen gets gets it just so. happens it's a bit hard to be like oh jesus christ what's going on oh that's yeah. bloody quick what are you guys doing in the middle of the road, huh? What are you thinking? Go home. Go home and tell your parents everything's gonna be okay. Go! And then he picks her body up, doesn't he? Then he drives, yeah. goes home, takes his parents' car. And drives her to the top of like the an overlook sort of bit, and yeah. that's when he guides it. He guides the jet engine. He home. uses the force. Uses the force, yeah, to guide it back through its wormhole into the proper universe. Wonder what happens to her body? Does he pop that through as well? Yeah, he can do what he wants. <laughs> Another scene then is when they're sat there watching like that American football game, and he sees the the sort of the jelly little oh, worm yeah. thing coming out his chest um, and that's his he's got sort of the power of sort of foresight is it foresight <laughs> <laughs> you can see yeah you can see sort of what's about to happen um, yeah. but he got the idea for that um, Richard Kelly because he'd watched 
uh, an American football game with somebody and someone used to like, do you know, like in football, if you watch football now yeah. and then um, when they do like Gary Neville goes there or Jamie Carragher right, goes there. there. Yeah. yeah. And they drag the line. He got the right. idea from, from them doing that on like the punditry for American football. Like they used to drag the line in front of the player and then you'd watch the player run against that line. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that. And that's where you got the idea for it for you. So imagine if you could actually see that, <laughs> you can see where people are about to go. Very mental. I don't know that. Yeah, I think I... that's true anyway. What about the scene in the cinema? Did you like that scene? Yeah, when they go see Evil Dead. Yeah, do you want to know a fact about that? No. That fact? <laughs> yeah, go on. And there's a bizarre coincidence with them watching Evil Dead because Richard Kelly later learned that Sam Raimi was actually driving by the cinema with his son when that scene was being shot. So he saw Evil Dead was on at that cinema. Well, it wasn't. Oh, that's pretty cool. But he saw yeah, the, but they the, saw the, it outside, the, the poster outside. outside. Um, but it's just bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, that is. Um, that's, that's a mad coincidence, isn't it? I believe that Sam Raimi let them have the footage for that without, he didn't like charge them a penny for it. But with yeah. that, but they sit down. They sit down, and it's the opening scene of Evil Dead, and she's asleep immediately. She must have yeah. literally sat down and just <laughs> fell asleep because it's the yeah. very beginning of Evil Dead. It's the bench, isn't it? The hitting the, yeah, yeah. That's about five minutes in, isn't it? It's ridiculous. She must have been knackered. Uh, and then she wakes up right at the end. Yeah, missed um, the whole bloody film. Yeah, what's the point? Bloody going. Um, but that's, but that's she, because it. she's a, a manipulated living or manipulated dead or whatever, and maybe she had to be asleep for him to see maybe Frank. Put, yeah, maybe Frank put her to sleep. But I like that scene. It's the one I think about when I think about this film, really, because it's the classic one. I think it's the sort of backdrop yeah. on Letterbox, isn't it? When you click on I, the film. Yeah. Why are you wearing that stupid place? I see another bit of trivia here that at the rap party for the film that Seth Rogen and Jake Gyllenhaal agreed that neither of them had any idea what the film was about. <laughs> really? Yeah, I was thinking that. Do you think when they were reading the script, they were just like, I don't know what's going on here. Because yeah. I, would, I would have a clue, to be honest. It's a bit like um, the little lad in The Shining. Yeah. Thought it was a completely, thought it was a family drama, didn't he? But it was a horror. Well, um, yeah, and it's also like, um, what's he called? He Justin, no Justin Theroux. He mentioned he has no idea what Mulholland Drive was about, doesn't he? We actually spoke about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, neither do I. Neither no. do I. <laughs> do you think Maggie and Jake Gyllenhaal are the best acting siblings out there at the minute? Can you think of any more that are better? I think the Skarsgårds are quite good, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I was about to say Skarsgårds are pretty good. Um, Phoenixes were good when both of them were alive, obviously. Joaquin and River. Well, people still believe that River was perhaps going to be the better of the two. Well, you're um, right here, we'll never know. We'll never know. The Sprouse twins. Oh, they're brilliant. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the Olsen twins. Yeah, the, yeah. All three of the Olsen's, Elizabeth yeah. Olsen's good, isn't she? She's yeah. the best one, yeah. I would say Jake and Maggie are good, though. They're, yeah. they're, they're some of the best actors out of those guys. They pick the best films, I'd say. One more thing, then. Yes. Because um, we're, we're, we're wearing thin now. <laughs> um, sure. Mad World. Um, oh, yeah. The re-record, well, the Tears of Fear songs that they've recorded. Um, Gary Jules, um, famously one-hit wonder, um, and it's this was a one-hit wonder. It was a number one at Christmas in the UK, so it was a Christmas number one. Wasn't it? Was a Christmas number one? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that? it's a strange, that isn't it? <laughs> oh, what a depressing Christmas that would have been. <laughs> I hope yeah. it wasn't the same Christmas where uh, Little Mo got gravy poured on her head on EastEnders. That would have been a really depressing <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, so we're obviously not going to rate it because it's not part of the book, weirdly, which is a no, bit strange. It, it can sit with sub, Submarine. Submarine, yeah. But I, I really like it. That's all I need to say about that and um, enjoy talking about it. And yeah. probably will definitely watch it again in my life. I definitely don't understand why it's not why it's been omitted from the 1001 when there's there are films in there that have, this is much better than um yeah it's it's questionable choices sometimes in that in that book there are some odd ones but like um, i say it's one man's opinion isn't it so do you what well, how do you want to do this do you want to reveal what what film we're going to be watching we're going to do the same ordering i'm, I'm assuming that assuming 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 <laughs> yeah so when we go 70s 90s 90s we might change up at some point that. but it's easier this way isn't it at the moment yeah this week i tried to find one a 70s film that you haven't seen that i have mm. um which was a, a tough game to play um, do you like that era to be fair yeah it was a toss up between two films the two that well, I told you it was going to be between was um, Serpico yeah um, which is a film I absolutely love um, and The Network or is it just Network I think it's just Network just Network um, it's not called Just Network <laughs> um, or Network sorry um, but I, yeah I'm going I'm to go with Network oh um, wow there we go yeah I am because um, otherwise, we just have a two-hour episode next week of me just chumming off Al Pacino, just doing an Al Pacino impression the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> we'll save that for another day. We'll do um, Godfather Part Two or something one day, and that's when I can really chum off him. <laughs> yeah, all right, fair enough. Yeah, I've been wanting to watch Network for years. I just for some reason haven't ever done it. But I, I only know that one scene from Network that everyone knows about the man going a yeah. bit mad. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm... <laughs>